ladies and gentlemen, you have made it to Brave to the Bone podcast, where we explore the dynamics of human courage in its most dynamic form, personal transformation. What does it take to dive into the unknown of ourselves? Who can help us get there? How scary is it to face our own edge? And what are the magic tools that we can use today to explore ourselves on this journey of healing just a little bit more? I am so excited and honored to bring to you today a famous podcaster, the host of Hello Someday. Casey Davidson is a certified life coach and the creator of The Sober Girl's Guide to Quitting Drinking. She's got many tips, but today she is here to share her entire story and why she moved into a career that helps women transform into living a life of their dreams. Enjoy. Welcome, Casey Davidson. I'm so happy to have you here today. Can you please um, tell my audience a little bit about who you are and the wonderful stuff that you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. I am so excited to be here. Um, I am 45 years old. I live in Seattle, Washington. I am sort of an ex-corporate ladder climber. I spent 20 years um, at startups and big companies working in digital marketing. And I also was a red wine girl for about 20 years. Like I loved drinking from college and being young and got to the point where I was drinking a bottle to a bottle and a half of wine a night when I was going to work and had two little kids and was married and just it was sort of normal in a weird way, except it was really hard. So I know we're going to talk more about that later, but basically I quit drinking five years ago with the help of a coach and a lot of other great things and um, have never looked back. So after I stopped drinking, I really found a passion for helping other women like me, busy women who are doing all the things and then kind of coming home and drinking to forget about all the things to stop drinking and build a life they love without alcohol, even if they can't imagine life without happy hours right now. Unbelievable. Well, I know that for me, my life completely changed giving up red wine and I was a complete lover just like you. So it's really interesting because when you say you can't, you know, even if they can't imagine a life without alcohol, it's very true. It becomes your only reward and it becomes something that you deserve more than anything because you're working so hard because you're making everything happen in the corporate world and at home. Yeah. Absolutely. And I was going to say that I, I also host a podcast, which is how we know each other as podcast hosts. I host the Hello Someday podcast, which is for busy women who want to drink less and live more. But the episode that released yesterday was literally about how no woman wants to quit drinking when she actually stops. Like it just doesn't happen. Amazing. Yeah. And, you know, you want to feel better and you've gotten to the point where you're like, I know deep in my heart that alcohol is the issue for all the things that are hard right now. And yet you don't want to stop. So it's always like, I know you don't want to stop drinking. You want to feel better. And you have to trust me that when you stop drinking, you will feel better. It's so amazing because it seems to be such a leap when we have to trust someone and someone has to be a good enough guide and storyteller to be like, okay, trust me, this is what I know it feels like now and this is where you're going. And it's the one of the biggest first leaps, especially now post-COVID, that people, you know, they spent a lot of time at home. We have this whole mommy wine culture. You know, we really, really just dove into Netflix and alcohol. And then you have to have these leaders saying, hey, you know, jump with me. And once you take that first leap, leap leaps after that become easier. It's so funny how this one is like, one of the biggest um, challenges in our lives as women this day and age to overcome. Well, and it's so hard because we don't talk about this, right? Like everyone's bought into the culture, you know, and these deep beliefs that you've been taught since childhood that like drinking is a privilege of adulthood and it makes anything a better time and it's required for all adult gatherings and it will make you more relaxed and more fun and connect better. And, you know, it's this felt it's this 
everybody's bought into it. Your girlfriends have bought into it. Everybody. So when you're worried about your drinking, you almost feel like if you do broach it with someone, they usually tell you, oh, it's not a big deal. You're okay. You know, don't worry about it. And a lot of times it's because they're big drinkers too, right? We surround ourselves with people who drink like we do. So, you know, in some ways they don't want you to question your drinking because then they might have to look at themselves. So when women come to me, they're usually at a point where like, they've tried to moderate for years. They realize that isn't working. They realize something has to give, but a lot of times I'm the first person they've ever like told how worried they are about their drinking or how, like how much bad it makes them feel in the morning or things they've done, like not remembering stuff, like all the shit that they don't tell their partners or their friends because they don't want to be judged or they're worried that people will be mad at them. So it's like so internalized. Yeah. The shame is huge. So can you tell us about a little bit about your personal story of how you kind of woke up into this understanding and what, how it led you here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, I think with any person out there, we drink because it works, right? It is fun. It is relaxing. You know, when you're younger, it's often a really good time. And then you start drinking a, because it's addictive and, you know, it is working as designed, right? It is meant to make you drink more and more often. And you're in withdrawal when you stop drinking and you need alcohol almost to bring you back to your baseline. So the product itself draws you into addiction, but there's also all the shit that's underneath it that makes you want to drink. And for some women, it's childhood stuff. For some women, it's marriage, you know, career, et cetera. For me, it was this deep feeling of anxiety and hypervigilance almost, like not wanting any balls to drop. Um, I was this awesome combination, I say slightly sarcastically, of like an overachiever and a people pleaser. Like I was like the gold star girl who really liked the pats on, on the head. And so it was just wanting to shut off my brain. At the end of the day, I was like, oh my God, something's going to happen at work. I'm running around, the kids, my husband, like really attuned to everybody's emotional energy. And like, I would come home and just want to shut it all off. And for me, that was a bottle of wine and then wanting to open up a second. And in looking back, it was, you know, I know you love to talk about childhood. So I'll like tell you a little bit about mine. It's kind of unusual. I, um, my parents were in the foreign service. They were diplomats overseas with the U.S. embassies. And I grew up moving every two or three years. And I know a lot of military people can relate to this. Um, So we moved, you know, to Africa and to South America and all the places um, back and forth and back and forth. And my parents were really busy. And, you know, it was understood that their jobs were really important. Like they were literally like helping people get enough food to eat and navigating governments and U.S. policy and all the things. And so for me and my sister, it was like, keep up, be self-sufficient, don't complain. You know, you're surrounded in third world countries by people with real problems, like, you know, sustenance issues, physical safety issues. So the, um, you know, emotional issues of moving and having no friends and having your parents be absent and basically, you know, having your main caregiver be the housekeeper, um, wherever you were, were like not as important as what they were dealing with. And so it kind of, as a very young age, I, I had, um, I had the, the feeling that I really needed to be perfect and be pleasing in order to be like somehow kept to be safe And to the point where I was like seven years old and my parents would go play tennis. And I had this game where I would clean the entire house, like madly clean for two hours and then hide. So they would be all surprised that like someone had cleaned the house while they were gone, which I think is not a normal seven year old. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And we had a housekeeper, like we lived in Paraguay. It was, you know, it was stupid, but it 
I so desperately wanted their positive attention. So anyway, growing up, went to boarding school at the age of 14, still, you know, felt like um, my parents, my dad was in Africa, my mom was in South America, my sister was in a different state. I just felt very on my own. And same thing happened, right? Like we would have long weekends and I would, everybody would go home and I would have nowhere to go. And so I basically felt like all my friends' parents had to love me. So I would be invited home. So I'd have a place to go. And it was just exhausting. And so when I got to college, I started drinking and I was just like, this is fucking amazing. Like it (laughs) shut my mind off. I could like relax. I played on the women's rugby team, which is huge binge drinking culture, like huge Um, kegs and keg stands and like all the things, singing all the songs that um, I'm embarrassed about now. And so the goal was to get blackout drunk. And I was like really excited about this because when I got blackout drunk, I couldn't overthink anything. So kind of went through college still getting straight A's, but like brutally hungover often and blacking out on a regular. And then my first job out of college, same thing. I worked really hard and I also got so nervous before events and business trips that I would get so drunk that I would be throwing a bile for hours the morning before a business flight. And like in a weird way, I thought it worked for me. Like I literally had convinced myself that because I was so hungover and trying not to puke, I couldn't be worried about the business meeting and therefore it like evened out my brain. So completely stupid, right? And yes, my dad got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer when I got out of college. Um, And my mom was in Australia with him and basically told me not to come home, that I needed to stay at my job, you know, just the whole, like, you signed up for it, get your job done, deal with it. And, um, you know, he had been diagnosed with like six months to live, but my family was just not the like emotionally caring. It's not, you know, no shade on them. It just wasn't that. And so, I mean... I just started drinking. So to deal with my anxiety and, you know, I never realized that it was also causing me anxiety, right? I thought it was helping me cope with my life. And like on the outside, my life looked really great. You know, I was a director at big companies. I um, was making good money. I was married. I had two kids. I had a beautiful house. And I was drinking a bottle plus of wine a night, seven nights a week, 365 a year, just barely holding it together. I mean, every morning, bloodshot eyes. I was feeling shaky. I never wanted anyone to look at me too closely. Um, And just like got to the point where I felt doomed. I mean, just doomed. I was worried I was going to fuck up my marriage and my kids and my health. And it was going to be my fault and deeply unhappy and so sad and yet smiling, you know. And so I finally like had to, had to just be like, okay. I mean, I knew I had a problem with drinking for years, for years. And it was like, do I abuse alcohol or am I actually an alcoholic? Because fuck, I'd have to actually stop. And that's a nightmare. So I kept trying to get it in check. And it wasn't until I just said, I can't moderate that I felt better. And And I actually wasn't able to say forever. I just said, I hired a coach and I said, I'm going to do a hundred days without alcohol, which blew, I couldn't even get four days. So like the idea of a hundred days was beyond me. And she basically held my hand through like every step of the way until, you know, I got 14 days and 30 days and 45 days and went to Venice and Croatia with my family and did not drink at four months sober, which is like incredible. Yeah. And then got a hundred and then said, I'm going for six months. And it wasn't until I got to a year that I was like, no, I'm done. I I think I'm happier without it. Wow. It's so unbelievable because the story is such an onion, you know, I mean, you get those, you know, the first 14 days and the 30 days and the 60 days, and you're still healing on just such a deeper level and learning how to be with yourself and how, you know, how not to avoid yourself. Yeah. And like everything that made you want to drink is still there, right? Yeah. Um, your boss, your worries, your family, your 
kids, you know, I quit when my daughter was 22 months old. You know, she was a huge trigger for me, which sounds bad to say, but it's true, you know, and um, just getting through that, like, in retrospect, I was taking care of myself for the first time in my life because I had to, instead of taking care of everyone else. And it was the kindest thing I had ever done for myself, stopping drinking. It was just, it was so kind. And I didn't realize that. Wow. I've never heard it said that way. I love that you said it that way. So was that too much information on my background? (laughs) Not at all. That's amazing. So it's interesting because we just start to unfold on this journey and then they say, and people say, everything changes. Can you talk a little bit about that? What started to change for you? Yeah. I mean, what was amazing to me is that everything in my life was actually the same, except for I was different. And that was really good for me to see. Um, I, I had the same job, which when I was drinking felt completely unsustainable. Like I just was like, I can't cope. Every change felt like the straw that was going to break the camel's back. I mean, I used to have a business trip put on me or a new project and literally feel unable to cope with my life. And in the first hundred days, I needed to lower the bar, right? I needed to just minimize triggers, minimize overwhelm. I had to say no to projects that I'd never said before because I had this people pleasing, you know, overachieving whatever. And I just needed to not volunteer and set boundaries and just care for myself. I had to hire babysitters and ask my husband to do things that I'd never had him do before um, and just take time for myself. So it was really about self-care. And what's amazing in that process is when I wasn't drinking, which is just self-sabotage. I mean, just like trying to run a marathon with a ball and chain tied to your ankle every day. I got so much more confident and competent. I had more energy. I wasn't so emotionally unstable. You know, I wasn't set off by as much. So I had the same job, but my life was easier. I wasn't as stressed out. I took things more in stride. Um, My marriage got better. um, And my husband had never said anything to me about needing to stop drinking, right? It was sort of the elephant in the room. He like wanted me to have an off switch. He wanted me not to like open bottle number two on a Tuesday or like, quote unquote, fall asleep on the couch, which was really pass out and not be able to remember stuff or wake up. But he just wanted me to get it in check, right? So I think I eased us both into it by saying, I'm doing a 100-day health challenge, Um, not saying I'm never going to drink again, because I think that would have brought up a lot of fears for both of us about our marriage and would we have fun together and would we connect and you know, so by the time I'd gone through a vacation, a birthday, a date night, which I was terrified to go on a date night with my husband because it was such a trigger to drink, not because I don't love him, but because that's what I'd always done. Exactly. He, we could see that it was okay. And as the process went through, I opened up more about like the internal struggle and how much it was making me unhappy and how worried about it I was, which he had never known. Like I was going around like, it's no problem. You know, you knew who I was when you married me. We've been together since we were 22. Wow. I just was like, this is who I am. You know, you married me, you knew that I loved to drink. Um, and he was sort of like, yeah, I kind of thought you'd grow out of some of it, you know, <laughs> um, instead of like going deeper. Um, but so marriage was the same. Um, I had two little kids, so I wasn't like partying at bars, right? I was drinking on my couch at home, occasional happy hour girls night, but I mean, we're talking once a month. So it was more going to bed earlier, waking up earlier and working out. Um, It was for me a lot of who I thought I was, who my personality was, um, all the negative associations I had with someone who 
quote unquote needed to quit drinking, which now I'm like, oh my God, women who quit drinking are fucking badasses. They're the coolest women. They're honest and vulnerable and and they've gone through some stuff and they're fun because you know they like to party. You know, like so. Um, but I had all these limiting beliefs and fears about what people would think of me. And I feel like the internal journey was the biggest one. So you talk about the compassion for yourself and what about the compassion that you received? Cause I imagine having to face the fear of your own anxiety. Um, who did you have um, an army of people to reach out to where you met with tremendous compassion? What, what did that look like in that first yeah. hundred days? I mean, I think that, in the beginning, it was my coach, my sober coach. And that's what I do for women right now. Like she was my cheerleader. She lifted me up. She encouraged me to prioritize myself. Um, you know, I wrote her before I was going to my first like restaurant dinner party with people who worked with my husband. And when my boss was mean to me, which I know sounds ridiculous as a 40-year-old woman to say, but that was a real, you know, that's real. And when I was worried that my friends wouldn't want to hang out with me, so she really held my hand and kept a safe space and told me it was going to be okay and told me I was doing great. So that was big. And then I actually met a lot of cool people, mostly women, just because that's where I was, in these online secret Facebook groups for people quitting drinking. And they were amazing. I literally posted there on my day five and was like, holy shit, I'm not drinking. This is terrifying. This is a nightmare. And then like when I made it to day eight and when I made it to day 15 and like I was telling them, this giant group of strangers, about my husband being a dick and like all the things that I <laughs> never told my best girlfriends, never. And so it, they really kind of held me and supported me and told me it was going to be okay and told me I was wonderful and validated my feelings because they got it, right? Like they understood all the things that set you off to drink and they understand how fragile you are in the beginning. And they understand, like they give you hope. They're like, it's going to get better. This is going to be okay. You're not a bad person. And it was like, so the people in the secret Facebook groups and my coach were really the people who held me. Um, I didn't want, like my husband's like what I call a normie, right? I think that's a phrase people know meaning he drinks, but he can take it or leave it. But we were always drinking buddies. And in the beginning, I just didn't want to tell him how much I was struggling with it or how worried I was about it because I'm married to him. I didn't want, you know, I was afraid I might go back to drinking. I was afraid I would want to. I didn't want him watching me for the rest of my life. Like, oh shit, she has a drinking problem. And you know, that again was my internal fears about it. And he also didn't get it, right? He didn't understand how hard it was. He didn't understand why I didn't have an off switch. Um, he didn't understand that like I went to, um, on my birthday, I, a couple months after I quit drinking, we took a hot air balloon flight that I arranged before I quit drinking that ended at a winery for a wine tasting. And I went in there and I was like, oh, do you have anything non-alcoholic to drink? And they were like, um, there's a water fountain over there. And I would just was, all these people were like drinking, tasting wine. I felt like they were like making out with my ex-boyfriend and I loved him way more. <laughs> you know, it was my 40th birthday and I was like in the car in tears. And he was like, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong with you? And so I was messaging the people on my secret Facebook group, you know, being like, oh my God, I'm crying. And they were like, all of them surrounding me with love. So, you know, it's crazy that strangers can help you through this, but it's real. Totally. It's so fascinating how it just delineates that we have, we can't tolerate our own 
um, fragility. We refuse to tolerate our own fragility in our lives when we become these super moms, these super workers, these super professionals. And when, you know, it just is so clear when you're able to look and be kind to yourself and then others are the same. It's like the whole world changes all of a sudden. It's not the world that we believed in before where our fragility was, you know, wrong and awful and like our complete demise. And all of a sudden that it becomes the light and the way to connect with the world. And so how did you move then into, into coaching? Well, I mean, you know, what's amazing is as you go through this process, you really dig into like everything underneath and what is, what your values are and what you love and what lights you up. And I realized that, you know, as I was talking with my therapist, who I also found a fabulous therapist once I had quit drinking at about four months and we did EMDR therapy and I was working in this high pressure corporate job. They wanted me to travel to New York for like a week of every month. It gave me endless anxiety. It was really long hours. I honestly just didn't care and it stressed me out and realized that I was doing all of that for security, right? To take care of that little girl who felt like she was going to be on her own physically, emotionally, financially, and needed to take care of herself. And I didn't need that anymore, right? I wasn't in that same place. And what really made me feel good was connecting with women and supporting them and having really deep, rich conversations and you know, digging into all the self-help stuff and all the society stuff and why women feel like they do and what they need and the constructs. And so she actually encouraged me to look into coaching. She was like, this is amazing. So much of the world only knows about the 12-step model. And there is this whole universe out there that you've gone through. And she basically was like, you can do this. And I just had to wrap my head around what that would look like and how that would be and leaving my, you know, my salary and my health insurance and all that kind of stuff. So I eased into it. I went to coaching school while I was working full time. I was like, worst case scenario, I get a year of personal development and meet some cool people. Best case scenario, I'm actually good at this. And I decide it's what I want to do for the next 20 years of my life. And I loved it and I met the coolest people and I loved the process. And so then I coached while working full-time and having two kids talk about how once you quit drinking, you can do so much more um, for a year. And then I just was like, I want to do this. And this is what makes me happy. And so I went in full-time and it has been an amazing ride. I mean, I just feel It's I'm meeting incredible people. I'm connecting with them on a really deep level. Um, One of my core values is just joy and happiness and being able to enjoy life. And so like not having to work late nights and weekends in the office or go on business trips just has been amazing to me. And then COVID hit and I was just working from home full time, like two, three months into it. And so it's been a real gift to be able to coach. And my daughter is six right now. My son is 12. Be around them for a year. And my husband's working from home too. Like our lives could have been so much more stressful than they were. And it's just been a stressful and hard, but good experience too of like, our family would never spend this much time together. Like I had, I was a working mom and kind of terrified to be alone with my young daughter. Like I'm kind of like, I adore her and spend time with her. But like the thought of having like a week alone with her was kind of scary to me. And she was always, she was in school and before school and after school and all the things when I was in corporate and we've just been together for a year and gotten to know each other so well. And I can coach for six hours a day and she's independent and fine. And um, so I guess I'm not terrified anymore to be alone with her. Awesome. That's amazing. 
So, you know, I find um, just my love of podcasting is that I find I get to talk to the most amazing people and I feel like I get the right story at the right time. It's so um, personally motivating to get to talk to people. So can you tell me a little bit about the guests on Hello Someday? Oh, yeah. Well, I absolutely love podcasting as well. Um, Podcasts really got me through early sobriety and were the first time that I used to hear women tell stories that sounded like mine, like all the conversations were about how I felt inside and what I was worried about and how I felt about drinking. And they really gave me hope. Like they had gotten to the other side and they were telling me that like they loved drinking as much as I did and it was all going to be okay and that life was better and the world didn't end. Once you stopped drinking, it actually opened up. And so I knew that I would love to start a podcast, but Hello Someday Coaching is for busy women who want to drink less and live more. And I bring on guests who are sober women who've quit drinking as well, but also are authors and coaches and healers who each, you know, give women a tool or a, or a mindset or help that they can take away from every episode, whether they're sober, curious, questioning their drinking in early sobriety or further on. So I've had people on to talk about perfectionism. I've had authors on, I mean, I've been so amazingly lucky to reach out to the authors of books that, that just helped me so much when I was quitting drinking and actually talked to them. So I've talked to the authors of The Sober Diaries, of Tired of Thinking About Drinking. I talked with Ann Dowsett Johnson, who wrote the book um, Drink, the Story of Women and Alcohol, um, the authors of The Sober Lush. I mean, all these women I adore. Um, and also, you know, uh, Taryn Strong of She Recovers to talk about yoga and essential oils and people to talk about tools for anxiety and ending self-sabotage and building self-esteem. So it's like I get to talk to really cool women and get an hour of free therapy and coaching every week of my life. Like it's all the stuff that I need to deal with that they're helping me with. That's incredible. It's incredible. And I just love the name of it. And I love the life you're living. I mean, there's something about the appreciation that we have now, um, you know, being sober myself, um, almost about our own mortality. It's like we don't have time to mess around. Like, for some reason, you know that more. So juicing the lemon of each day becomes so important to you. Do you find that true? Oh, yeah. And I just feel like one thing I didn't, believe or know when I was drinking um, is that it is your job to make yourself happy. It's not anyone else's job, right? Like so many of us are like, if I do everything for my boss or my husband or my kids, they will then do what, what I need. They will give it back and make me happy. And just realizing that you are meant to be happy. Life is here to be enjoyed. And it is your responsibility to figure out what that is and to do it for yourself. Um, You know, you're not going to ignore your children. They're not going to die. You're still going to help your husband. But like waiting for your husband to figure out what you need and then to give it to you out of the goodness of his heart, like that's a losing game. And so just realizing that, yeah, I've gotten really clear on what I enjoy in life and feel like I'm entitled to go get it. And that I am not a victim of circumstances or my job or anything else. So when you talk about juicing the lemon, I'm just like, yeah, what do, what lights me up? Who lights me up and how can I spend more time with them? Yeah, I just wish there was a news channel that would capture all these people who have shown, you know, themselves that they can walk away from things that aren't in alignment with them and live the life of their dreams. That's why, you know, the van culture is kind of like so highlighted right now because people are really like, okay, I have this one shot to live. How do I really want to live it with my with my family? Um And it's not fear-based, right? Like so many of us have these limiting beliefs and and fear-based culture and just what we've been taught from, you know, school and society and our parents about what 
we need to do in life to be safe or to be successful or to be accepted and and just realizing and you know one of my favorite things to do with women is to tap into their core values what's driving their lives and whether that is um fear based meaning it's a core value cuz you don't want something negative to happen or whether it actually is conscious based or something you really want and dig into like, is it your value or was it your dad's value? And like, mm-hmm. how is that serving you? Cause like, you know, I quit drinking at, at 40, I was 43 and I was asking, basically asking my husband for permission to go to coaching school, even though I worked full time and had the money and, you know, still I was like, do you think it will be okay? What it's this much money. I'll need this much time away from the kids. And he sort of looked at me. It was like, babe, you're 43. At what point do you get to do something just because you want to? And I was like, Holy shit. So like my goal now is to not ask permission from him or for anyone, like to, of course, make it a win-win, but not, and to ask for support, but not permission. That's so beautiful. So I know it's an evolution and it's always a work in, in um, progress, but that chronic people pleaser, how did that chronic people pleaser shape more into a badass coach that was able to ask for, you know, become a high dollar badass coach? Because <laughs> that's a challenge, right? You just, um, when we, we are those chronic givers, how did that shape out? Was it like learning experience after learning experience into that? Well, I think they're two separate things, right? So people pleasing, I had to, one of the best questions that I asked myself and I needed to ask myself in early sobriety to get away from that because I always wanted the pat on the head from whoever, anyone, regardless of whether I respected them. Um, I just wanted them to like me, right? Um, Was... And I actually, I went to AA for a couple months and it was one, something I, I took a number of things away from them. It wasn't my path, but you know, there are a number of concepts that really served me. And one of them was the idea of, do you want what they have, right? They always say, if you want what we have. And so I remember distinctly being at, uh, being at work, my boss was tough. She was a single woman who'd like climbed the corporate ladder and, and was very into advancement and posturing and, and the next rung and, you know, whatever it takes. And she wanted me to work like a dog and do all those things and value those things too. And um, mirror her management style with my reports, which was not my jam. And I had to ask myself, do I want what she has? Do I want her energy, her values, her life, how she spends her time? And the answer was no. I mean, I wanted to be home with my kids. I wanted to have a good marriage. I wanted to go to my morning workout groups. I wanted to be happy. And so it it took me saying, if I do not want what she has, I by definition need to disappoint her. And so that was the t- the thing with my people pleasing. Mm. And so that actually helped me because I was always about pleasing people, right. right? It was never. And so that really helped me like reorient my priorities and be like, if I don't want that, then they have to not be pleased with my choices because otherwise I'd be doing what they, what they want. And so that helped me kind of value my own self equally with others, which was a process in terms of coaching. And um, the big shift that I had to make was because I was a security girl financially. And um, I work in, worked in the internet.com world in Seattle for many years. So it was um, exciting and very um, unstable in terms of like reorgs, layoffs, uh, venture capital funding. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been reorganized with um, the entire organization. I also have been through layoffs three different times, which for a security girl is a big thing um, and scrambled for my next job. And so um, I had to wrap my head around the idea that building a business for myself was actually more secure than working for a big corporate. And like, because I knew I didn't want to do director level digital marketing for five more years or 10 more years, I actually didn't even want to do it next year. Mm-hmm. And so the big fear was like, 
if I build something for myself over time, it will, I won't be reorged. I won't be laid off because I'm too cheap or too expensive or we acquired another company. And so that was a big shift. But I am a business girl, despite myself. Like I, I, um, I like building businesses. And in my mind, when I started coaching, I was like, this needs to be a scalable, profitable business while also serving people. And because in my mind, like if I don't earn a good living, I will go back to corporate because I have a mortgage and a life and kids and, you know, and I don't think there's any shame in that. I mean, I, you know, a lot of the women I work with are also busy and successful and appreciate that, right? In my mind, like I pay for a personal trainer and I paid for a guitar instructor and I went to Pilates and um, therapy, right? So like those people earn livings too. So wrapping my head around that was actually not that hard. Amazing. (laughs) So you did all those things you learned guitar and Pilates and- Oh my God. My husband used to make fun of me when I was drinking because I was dealing with like stress, you know, stress, I'm doing air quotes. Um, And oh my God, my job's so hard and blah, blah, blah. And this was before I had my son. And he was like, oh my God, you are supporting the entire service industry of Seattle. Because I did Pilates, I had therapy, I um, took guitar lessons weekly, absolutely loved guitar lessons. I mean, all the things. And he was just like, who aren't you supporting, right? <laughs> but that was like dual income, no kids, right? So once I had my son, like all that flew out the window and I was just left with, you know, work, him, who I loved and was wonderful and my bottle of wine. And that's when my world got really small, right? Um, for a while, like you think drinking makes life so exciting, but at the end, you know, my drinking quote unquote highlights were like maybe 10 to 20% of my drinking, probably not even 20%. 80% of it was me on my couch, not remembering the end of shows, waking up hungover. And my life got really small. And I didn't, you know, I had work. And then I didn't remember a lot of the night. And I woke up feeling like shit, like how exciting is that? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, now I'm back to this big full life that I love, um, smaller with COVID, but, but better without hangovers regardless. Um, but, you know, since I quit drinking, I've like gone on yoga retreats and slept in yurts and traveled to, you know, Greece and Croatia and Amsterdam and wow. Mexico. And just life is life is big and exciting and beautiful. And by the way, I just looked this up. Um, I've saved $33,000 since I quit drinking. Wow. Like not poisoning myself. And so I just am like, that is money I would have spent on, you know, all the bottles of wine. And now I get to enjoy life and live. And again, with no shame about it, like Mm -hmm. life is here to be enjoyed. Yeah. I look at the wine aisle now and I'm like, I can't believe how expensive it is. You know, I'm like, so God, I'm not, I'm not doing it, but I just want to go back to, you know, you built your own, your own um, business. And so you can't get laid off, but is there also an element of your own spiritual authenticity? Like maybe you as who you really are is more welcomed in this business, like that you can really bring your full soul here. Is there like an, a spiritual aspect that you oh, can Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that where I started was, you know, re- I mean, when you think back to when you're happiest, like for me, it was, I went backpacking when I was 16 years old with kids during the summer all over the Northwest and Alaska. And we would like sit around at night, holding hands, singing songs, talking about everything. And I felt like they knew me better than anyone in the entire world. Like I was just in tears having conversations. And as you grow up, you get further and further away from that. And, you know, as you drink, you get further and further away from that. And now like, I'm on calls with clients and I get teary all the time and I, you know, love them and support them and in awe of them and I connect with them. And I, 
feel like it's so good for me. I mean, it fills me up. And so I love that quote, which I actually have on my wall in my office. I'm reading it. It says, maybe the journey isn't about becoming anything. Maybe it's about unbecoming everything that isn't really you. So you can be who you were meant to be in the first place. And I feel like that's what I've done when I've come back to coaching um, is really connecting with women and lifting them up and having real relationships. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want someone to be like, yeah, she was, you know, a great business person. I want them to be like, she made a difference in this world and she had amazing friendships and she helped people and supported them and also lived a very happy life. That is so beautiful. Well, I'm just... I'm so happy for you and I'm so excited to have you in in my own circle and and get to watch your success. It's been amazing. It's just been amazing to watch it. Can you tell us a little bit about what you have in in the plans and in the works for the future of your business? Well, yeah. I mean, I just am loving the podcast. Like it is wonderful. I could not be more excited about um, what I'm learning personally and the women I'm having on. So I just can't wait to scale that up. I We just hit 50,000 downloads, which is incredible to me that, that that many people are listening to it and it feels wonderful. And I just want to keep bringing on amazing guests that'll help women. Um, I also um, continue to work with women who um, who are in their early days of quitting drinking and just wrapping their head around everything that goes with it. So really helping women go from struggling in the drinking cycle of trying to get four days and drinking and trying to get seven days and like helping them get from like day one to day 100 and navigate all of those challenges and all of the growth and really feel wonderful about the future. And I launched an online course too that is much more affordable, but also is my full coaching framework of like the sobriety starter kit and it's on demand. So if you're a woman like I was, who was traveling for business and taking care of kids, you can like tap into all the, all the lessons and all the strategies and mindset around leaving alcohol behind and feeling really empowered by it without you know, attending classes at a specific time or meetings or all the things that are difficult to do when you're, when you're busy. Mm -hmm. So not taking the route of AA and, um, you know, still using women to connect, do they have an opportunity to be in groups and do you have a Facebook group? I don't have a Facebook group and I'll say it's because, um, there are so many other great ones out there. And um, I have two that I absolutely adore. And I actually have a guide on my site. If anyone um, wants to go there, it's Hello Someday Coaching about how to find my favorite free private Facebook groups for women. Um, The first one is the Booze Free Brigade. And it you know, have the information there about how to find it, but they really supported me from before I quit drinking when I was struggling with it to now. So I joined there eight years ago and it is just the best group of people on the internet. And then also she recovers, you know, I'm a, she recovers coach and I'm a member of the group and they are a wonderful organization that leads retreats and has a thriving Facebook support group. And they actually do online free meetings um, twice a day, seven days a week. So I feel like there are so many great things out there that um, I want women to tap into all the resources, not just mine, that can help them and can support them in this journey. Um, I also know and love the way that you have people sign up for your email list is that you deliver um, 30 days of tips to stay sober. So it's for their first 30 days. Isn't that right? Yeah. It's the sober girl's guide to quitting drinking 30 tips for your first 30 days. And it's literally a 30 page ebook, like a guide completely free stacked with tons of resources, not just mine, but will give you like 
everything you need to know and do and resources out there, but also like, how are you going to feel on day three? What should you do on your first weekend? Literally buy at the store, what to eat, what to drink. Great things to read. Really, it's that detailed. I love it. I haven't seen it. I can't wait to read it. That's amazing. Yeah. And you know, it, it's really helpful because I think in the beginning, you're just like stumbling around in your, in the dark, but you're also trying to white knuckle it. And all these, you know, I know I was like, what is wrong with me? Pull it together. I should be able to do this. Why do I have no self-discipline? And it's not about that. It's just setting yourself up for success, not self-sabotage. There are tips and tricks and shortcuts. And like, for God's sakes, you know, don't try to do it and like reinvent the wheel on your own. You don't have to. Okay. So I have to ask this shopping list, does it include chocolate? Yes, <laughs> it totally does. Yeah. And it's like, don't go to the grocery store after work or at 5 PM. Yeah. Or like, mm-hmm. like do it on Saturday morning after you've eaten something and like have your list. So yeah, it's all about sober treats, which I'm a huge fan of, right? When you stop drinking, you, you, it has so much sugar in it and you will crave sugar, but it's also about stocking your fridge with like all the non-alcoholic amazing drinks, right? I think as drinkers, we're like more is more and you don't want to feel deprived. So it's like, I want you to have like a plethora, like 12 different non-alcoholic um, oh, amazing. Available. I love it. Yeah. And like eating protein, something with protein at like 4 p.m., so important. Like when women tell me they want to drink, first question always is like, are you hungry? Like, have you eaten something? And then it's like, okay, what emotion are you feeling that's making you want to drink? Like bored, overwhelmed, pissed off, you know, irritated, excited, whatever it is. But like eating protein at 4 p.m., not getting hungry, huge game changer. So you don't like commute or walk home or go into dealing with your kids starving. Right, right. Amazing. Well, I'm just, I'm so honored to have met you and I love the work that you're doing. I mean, you're, you're teaching women about how to look at themselves and, and learn more about who they are and move forward in their lives in a way that they really never thought possible and to leave that fear behind. So you're a total champion, Casey. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for what you're doing because this podcast is incredible and brave and courageous and so needed. And I feel like the things that you're talking about are such a wonderful wide spectrum of experiences and what people have gone through. And women are going to be inspired and see themselves in other people's journeys, but also um, take away that everybody struggles with something. And I think that's something we don't talk about enough. Definitely. Definitely. So anything else that we didn't touch on that you're working on that you wanted to share? No, I'm just excited to be here. I'm excited for your podcast and thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you all for listening. I am so excited to announce that I have a free class this week and it's how to move from spiritual burnout to existential breakthrough. Five easy steps using the acronym ASHES. So join me on Instagram. My Instagram is Heal Your Hero.